I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Melbourne, the Sydney of Victoria. My arch nemesis from 2014 to 2017. Dear listener, I will now tell you four tales of rejection, woe and despair, the likes of which you've definitely heard before. Rejection number one. In my second year of university, I met someone in one of my classes. We both needed a study buddy for the semester finals and I thought that she thought that I was funny. She told me she played violin and wrote for her local community paper. Meanwhile, I was trying to be cool and funny and send her good memes. Trying to think of how to ask if she wanted to get dinner, but leave it open-ended enough for the request not to be intimidating for her in case maybe she didn't want to go on a date date, but still maybe assertive enough perhaps that we could hang out and get good Chinese food and then walk around Darling Harbour. And we had a great time. She told me how excited she was for semester to finish because at the end of the month she was moving to Melbourne. Rejection number two. I met her outside a semi-illegal warehouse venue in an alleyway. We talked about how much she'd rather be swimming in the Bronte Ocean Rock Pool because the weather was so good and the bands were so bad. She said she already had some spare towels in her car. I asked her why we were still at the gig. The only lights at the pool glowed at us from the moon peeking out behind wisps of cloud. The water was absolutely not freezing and to prove it I jumped in, also proving how fun and spontaneous I was. We both agreed that we'd like to hang out together a bit more if that was cool. She'd recently finished her honours and was a bit stressed about the job offer she'd recently gotten because it meant she had to Move to Melbourne. Rejection number three. Friend's birthday party that was also a Halloween party. She was dressed as Oblina from Ah Real Monsters. I was dressed as Dude with Social Anxiety. We had a really good connection, really good conversation, lots of flirting. She had to leave the party a bit early though because in the morning she had a flight because she was moving to Melbourne. Rejection number four, friend of a friend of a friend, blah blah blah, Chinatown, nice dumplings, blah blah blah, moved to Melbourne, moved back to Sydney, and then moved to Paris? I don't know if abandonment issues is the appropriate term, but I will say that I did experience a tiny bit of spiteful joy when the Victoria New South Wales border was closed due to COVID-19. Putting yourself out into the dating market is hard. Mentally preparing yourself to face rejection is hard. Feeling comfortable enough to show your true personality and still be rejected is hard. Having a constant fear that everyone you meet will leave you because of a thing called Brunswick and nothing to actually do with your own personality is even harder. This is Love Me, Love My Anxiety, a podcast about dating when you're already partnered up with anxiety. My name is Kevin Jin. I am a Sydney-based comedian talking to you this episode about ghosting, breakups, and rejection. I guess 
With any situation, I'd like overthink things if I'm very into someone. And even if I'm not into someone and I need to compose like a rejection message. I've always been someone who has been really upfront. If someone is like fucking me around, then I'll be like, hey, like, what's the deal? The thought of being rejected, I just couldn't deal with it. You're 18 and you're, you're going out for the first time and you sort of see the moment it's like, oh, here's an opportunity to go and talk to this girl and maybe play the odds and see if she likes you and, and it just, just get overwhelmed and almost have a heart attack. It's so tempting to just ghost someone rather than actually end a casual relationship. Because my anxiety is so like, critical of myself, I tend to just find some weird way of blaming a breakup on me. Our anxiety can sabotage our relationships because we're always on high alert for things to go pear-shaped. For my friend Jenny Tian, who we spoke to in an earlier episode, her first breakup led her down a path where she would expect the absolute worst at the start of a relationship. Would you mind telling us about this bad breakup? Yeah, he was like classic um, kind of buckboy. But at the time, because um, I went to an all-girls school and then I had like just entered university and I was like, oh, boys, oh, that's a new world for me. Like suddenly I was with this person and it's like everything he did was so amazing because I put him on a pedestal and he was like, this person who like, you know, almost made it to the Olympics and was into extreme sports and cliff diving. And I was like, wow, that's like so exciting because I have never done any of that and I've never been exposed to any of that. And there would be times where like at the beginning it was going great, but then after a while everything became um, like it was on his terms. Yeah. And he would be like, you know, if I asked to meet up, he would never reply But then, you know, two weeks later, he'd be like, hey, you free tonight, 7 p.m. Oh, what a dog. Yeah, I know. Not nice at all. Um, But because of, like, low self-esteem and everything at the time, I just went, oh, my gosh, like, he did text back. He does care about me. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very beautiful flag. It's got such a nice crimson colour to it. It feels, like, so velvety. I love it. I love it. Give me I just more. Want, I just want to swaddle myself up in this <laughs> giant red flag. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I um, would meet up with him um, and he would also do things like there was this one time where we were hanging out. It was supposed to be quality time and he he had this big suitcase and he was, like, <laughs> packing as he was talking to me and I'm like, what? is going on um and he was like oh i'm like flying to america tomorrow i'm oh, gonna no. go skiing and i'm like what why for how long are you coming back like i don't uh. <laughs> and he's just like i don't know when like he just kind of like lived his life however he wanted to um and it just felt like i was never like fully part of that i think we like we broke up and we got back together so many times oh no yeah it's bad and then when we did finally actually break up it was so hard for me to fully articulate because a part of me goes for the hope and goes this is just another time where we're breaking up and we're going to get back together again and that never happened and when it did hit me it hit me like a ton of bricks um because I didn't expect it Mm. and I just became very upset over it. Would you say that, like, you were overthinking some things, but, like, you weren't thinking about the thing that was right in front of you? Yes, exactly. Like, what I would do during the whole relationship was that 
whenever there were like red flags and I was feeling like really insecure about it and there was something in my gut telling me that something wasn't right, what I would do is among my consultation of friends, I'd pick the friends who reinforced everything that I felt and what I was going to do anyway, which was to stay with him. You know, Jenny, that's called democracy. (laughs) Were there things that you were doing kind of as a way of like, what were your coping mechanisms after the breakup? Like, what were you doing to kind of make yourself enter a better state of mind? That was a hard one for me to cope through because I never experienced heartbreak before and I always in the past had kind of downplayed, I guess, the way people felt after breakups because I was like, oh, you're just being, like, dramatic because my friends would say, like, really cheesy things like, but they were the love of my life. And I'm like, gosh, look at you. Get yourself together. Wow, you sound like your mother, Jenny. (laughs) But then I went through it. You're really sad. Have you considered not being really sad? Can you just, like, stop feeling those feelings? you got a life to live, okay? Um, no, but then I felt it. And because I had spent my entire life thinking that heartbreak wasn't that big of a deal, it just crushed me. Like, the feeling was so awful. Um, and I spent so long wallowing. But to try and get out of it, I had many coping strategies, which were all not the best. Okay. Um, I read WikiHow. <laughs> Several times I kept going back to the same article on how to get over someone. It was just like a drawing of a cat that was crying, but then the next drawing is a cat smiling and it's surfing now. Live your best life. You don't need them anymore. Like, why is the cat happier than I am? (laughs) Um, And and then um, I would watch YouTube, like, vloggers, people that I would never ordinarily watch. Just equally as unqualified people as yourself. Yes. In some instances, maybe worse. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Just, just being sad and talking about themselves being sad. And I guess in that way, I was like, oh, like there are other people that feel exactly like me in the world. And then I was like, I wasn't the only fool out there. <laughs> Um, But then I'd also, like, my friends were really there for me as well because a lot of us were going through sort of the same things during that period. Yeah, talking through it with them was, like, really, really helpful too. When Jenny and her first partner did finally break up, it set her up for expecting the worst in relationships. If I'm, you know, very into someone and even if I'm not into someone and I need to compose like a rejection message, for example, I would like talk to five different friends. To whom it may concern. (laughs) Yes. You'd crowdsource your rejection. Yes. Like, you're like, hello, you you do like market research into your level of politeness. Yes, exactly. I'm like, is it too harsh? Is it, oh, maybe I shouldn't send anything at all, but that's grossing and it's bad. Um, So... I really overthink when it comes to dating. Like I was saying with my first relationship, it was like this whole plane of instability throughout the whole thing. But for some reason, the breakup still caught me really off guard. And it was such a dark and negative space in my life during that period that any time I enter anything new, all I'm thinking about is the breakup. Wow. Because <laughs> I'm like, I never want this to catch me off guard ever again. You're like a relationship doomsday prepper. <laughs> yeah, I am. 
So what do you do when there is the tendency to cling on after things have hit their use-by date? What should we do when we think we'd rather be unhappy with someone else than be unhappy alone? For some, the strategy is suppress everything and cling on to the bad relationship because you're too anxious to leave. Emily Unity, a mental health advocate who we spoke to in our first episode, has fallen into this trap. She's from Melbourne, which is totally fine. Because my anxiety is so like critical of myself, I tend to just find some weird way of blaming a breakup on me, even if I'm the one that's doing the breakup. Um, And I feel like there's like this anxiety trap of like staying in a relationship where I know that I should have left. And to be quite honest with you, it's left me in a lot of like quite abusive and toxic situations. Um, Like I just cling to people regardless of the consequences because I just care so much for them. And in doing so, I forget to take care of myself. And like, if I'm the one that's like broken up with, I think like I'm a horrible person. I'm going to be alone forever. And this is weird, like confirmation bias of, you know, they deserve someone better. And I was right all along. My anxiety was right. I'm going to spend the next forever overthinking every interaction that led to that breakup. And if I'm the one that's doing the breakup, then I feel like I've made a mistake and maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I could fix this, but I don't know what. And it's just all these what ifs. Yeah. So with regards to breaking up, what are some of the ways you try and deal with rejection? I realize that, you know, there are things in this world that we can change and things that we can't. And I try to focus on what I can. And I know that my anxiety likes to explore these impossible scenarios that I can't foresee, but I try to just sit with those feelings and say, you know, it's okay to feel that way. Um, and I seek therapy and seek support for it. Um, and I you know, talk to people about it. But then I do try to focus on the things that I can do. Um, and it's much more that sort of solution focus thing that gets me through a lot of my life. Getting over a breakup is not as simple as a progress bar that shows you how much percent you're over your ex. Sometimes our feelings get stuck buffering. According to our resident anxiety aunt, psychologist Smriti Nair, one of the first things to do post-breakup is to sit with our feelings. What are common mistakes people can make after a breakup? A breakup or rejection can be pretty hard. It's really easy to want to just run away from your feelings, not sit with them, not want to, you know, accept what's happened be angry or act out and find really quick ways of coping, like maybe drinking a lot or, you know, maybe you can't do that right now, but just disappear from here, travel to another country, take a holiday, pretend nothing happened. (laughs) All of these things can be really quick and easy to do and they do not work. So don't do them. (laughs) (laughs) So eat, pray, love is not Good advice. Well, if you're going to write a book about it and, you know, like go through a process, maybe, but don't do not do a quickie, eat, pray, love and just hope that you'll be okay. No, it's not going to work because rejection can be hard. A relationship ending can be hard. And at the end of the day, there is grief about the end of the relationship or, you know, the imagined future together. And there's also pain and hurt. Like if you got rejected you can very easily fall into thinking that you weren't good enough for your partner, that they rejected you because they got somebody better. And there will be all of those stages of grief. You know, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked to us about those five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But the thing is, they are not linear. 
they're a puddle, my friend. So they're going to hit you probably all at once in a non-linear fashion, not at all. It can be such an overwhelming mix of emotions. And the symptoms of experiencing all of this hurt and grief can look like worrying a lot, ruminating, crying, feeling really detached or numb, not having an appetite, having sleep problems, a lot of sadness, not having an interest in things that you usually like to do, wanting to withdraw from people, and a big hit to your self-esteem. You can feel like you're not good enough or, you know, nobody's ever going to ever love you ever again. So it can be quite kind of extreme in those first few moments. And no one out there is probably going to like this advice, but feel those feelings. Remember that emotions are just that, they're emotions. They will rise and crash like waves and then they'll ebb and then they'll flow right back. So what you need to do is learn to ride those waves. Have an emotional surfboard. That can be therapy or counseling. It can be speaking to some of your loved ones. You can also do things like journaling, learning to label and identify emotions, learning to tolerate emotions without running away from them and also without kind of leaning into them. So taking that fear away from the actual aspect of experiencing an emotion, all of this can help. And something that's really important to remember as well is it's okay to have boundaries with your pain. It's okay to allow a little bit of comfort in. It's okay to let people who love you support you. It's okay to let some of those positive, nice emotions to balance it out as well and let your support system kind of do their job. I think with the breakup of a relationship, it's very easy to internalize it and think it was all you sometimes. So remember that rejection is mostly also about the other person. Mm. Don't waste all your time blaming yourself. Mm. The truth is that, you know, you won't be that one person who fulfills all the needs for every single person you meet. You won't. And some of them might reject you in some circumstances. Take accountability for any of your behaviors that might have caused a breakup. But also remember, beating yourself up is not what is going to heal you. What's your advice for putting yourself back out there? If you're putting yourself back out there, you need to be able to have that conversation with yourself. You need to recognize that being vulnerable is not the same as being weak. Being honest with yourself, being vulnerable with yourself is actually a really important skill to learn. And recognizing your needs, recognizing your boundaries, what you are and are not comfortable with can be a game changer. It's tempting to try to win the breakup. If they didn't invent the concept of revenge bod, the Instagram fitness industrial complex would have fallen out of business decades ago. Social media can be a great way to show everyone how great you are doing and all the great stuff you're getting up to. But Jenny found something better. In some ways, for me, it provided closure because I saw what my ex was up to, which was that he moved on with like a different girl three weeks later. Oh. Um, yeah, it was painful. And that's when I knew for sure this is over and it's not going to happen again. Also, because he never posted about me or had any photos with me on social media, yet he posted about her. And I was like, damn it, it's, ah, uh, you know. 
um, in some ways, like I started comparing myself to that person as well. Yeah, that sounds real healthy, Jenny. Yeah, um, really, really <laughs> great thing to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a lot of a temptation to win the breakup mm-hmm. afterwards mm-hmm. on social media and like show how well you're doing and that type of thing. Like I definitely got a haircut <laughs> and like <laughs> decided to make myself look nice. But then after a while, I was just like obsessing so much over this person's profile. Like he was trying to show off the highlights of his life because that's kind of what you do on social media anyway. Like he wasn't even good at showing off his highlights. He would like take a photo of like an aloe vera stalk (coughs) with like a bunch of hashtags. And then I would be like sitting at home, like screenshotting this to like three other of my friends going, okay, but what does it mean? What is he up to? Does he garden now? Like what's going on? So after a while of just obsessing over it, I was like, this is really unhealthy. And then I eventually had enough self-control to just block him on everything. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, he sent me a LinkedIn request and I was like, what? Fundamentally, a relationship is a two-player game, and when the other person doesn't want to play anymore, you end up holding two controllers by yourself in the dark. But remember that not all games are compatible with your console. There's actually some types of games you know you actually don't like, and that you'll get to have fun playing more fun games with other players in the future. You're still leveling up. And sometimes it's also good to take a break from playing games and do some other stuff, you nerd. Engage with your feelings, use your support networks, formal or informal, and don't torture yourself by looking at the Instagram feed, because that's not a very fun game at all. And remember, the rejection isn't necessarily about you. It could very much be about a growing housing affordability crisis that manifests by presenting another capital city as much more affordable and therefore livable. Stick around for next episode, where we talk about living anxiously ever after. If it helps your visualization, I'm very handsome. I'm six foot four, so... (laughs) Stop it, Kevin. I'm I'm here to talk about commitment. (laughs) (laughs) If this episode raised any issues for you, you can contact Beyond Blue 24-7 on 1300 22 46 36. Or for 24-7 crisis support, Call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Love Me, Love My Anxiety is a podcast from SBS Voices. It's hosted by me, Kevin Jin, produced by Caitlin Chang, and audio production by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. Don't forget that if you want to learn more about dating through the lens of anxiety, you can catch me on The Swiping Game, streaming on SBS On Demand.